not just saying I'm going to fall asleep when I'm tired, but making a habit around I'm going to go to sleep when I need to. Winding down with minimizing exposure to your phone, getting in a routine with the shower, not just for cleanliness, but then to relax your muscles, relax your body. Hey family, I'm Leon Guidry. Welcome to the Brother Be Well podcast. Our conversations focus on mental health and wellness. Our intent is to provide a safe space for boys and men of color to reduce disparities, remove stigma, heal trauma, and to end prolonged suffering. Listen up, y'all. Hi, I'm Michael P. Coleman, content director for Brother Be Well. There are a lot of rumors and urban myths about the origin of daylight saving time, along with at least one misconception about how it's pronounced. For the record, it's daylight saving, no S, time. Guess what? Ben Franklin had nothing to do with it, as I heard when I was coming up. It also had nothing to do with allowing farmers to have more daylight hours to harvest crops. It started with a New Zealand entomologist, George Hudson, back in 1895. He proposed a two-hour shift so that he'd have more after-work hours of sunshine in the summer so he could go bug hunting. Bug hunting. A hundred years later, it seems like a weird reason to still be doing this. But that said, most states are scheduled to wind our clocks ahead one hour on March 12th and return to standard time on November 5th. While many U.S. states observe it, a growing body of research suggests that daylight saving time does more harm to our health than good, affecting both the quantity and the quality of our sleep. So today we're going to talk about the effects of daylight saving time which have been proven to have a negative impact on mental and physical health as well, and the ways in which we can mitigate those impacts. We're talking with an expert on this. Carter Todd is a registered nurse, and he's also president of the Capital City Black Nurses Association. He's also a friend of mine. Carter, what's up? Welcome back to Brother Be Well. Good afternoon, Michael. Good to be back. Really good to to talk to you, man. Where do you stand before we get started? Uh, You know, it's a hot debate in my family and among my friends. Are you a fan of daylight saving time, or would you rather it, it, it be put aside? Um, so for me, myself, Michael, I didn't think too much about daylight savings times until I became a father. Once I had kids, uh, specifically small children dealing with their sleep patterns, which is already difficult enough mm-hmm. and seeing the big impact, right? They're going to, everything in their life is going to be amplified and easy for us to see, but seeing how that really threw off their schedule made me not a fan of daylight savings. Yeah, I hear you took me back when my kids were little. That it's hard enough getting those sleep schedules together just with one clock, right? So you move, mm-hmm. you mess around with that clock and got all kinds of problems. Mm-hmm. Before we get into the weeds with this, let's talk really about sleep. We're talking about it with kids now. With regard to our mental and physical health, Carter, how important is a good night's sleep? Sleep is everything. Sleep is it's a natural function of the human body, correct? No one can get away from it, get out of it. So sleeping, eating. Uh, using the restroom. Those are functions of the body that are necessary to get us whole and healthy every single day. Um, I think in our society, specifically a a heavy working society, we are go, go, go all the time, right? So the stress is up, the needs are up, the requirements are up throughout the day and sleep typically will take a back burner. Mm -hmm. But just like your exercise, just like the nutritious foods that you put in your body, sleep is one of those, uh, those kind of pivotal, um, predictors of health for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. I'm wondering now we're talking about a good night's sleep Um, for members of the brother be well family. And we are men of color, as you know, Carter, age 13 and up. What exactly is a good night's sleep? What's the target we should be hitting? I I would imagine that number might change depending on your gender and age, but tell me what, what's a good night's sleep? What should we be shooting for? So if we're looking at our younger folks, our younger audience right now, right? So those teenagers, we can all remember 
you know, you get the the stereotypical, you know, drowsy, uh, lazy teenager. Well, that's because younger kids in the teenage years actually need more sleep than those of us in our adult years, right? So on average, that nine hours of sleep. And that's where you see a lot of this discussion, like we're having um, all the way up to the United States uh, government level of what is a good time for kids to be starting school, right? The daylight savings is one component of that, but allowing those teenagers to get the opportunity to take a full nine hours of sleep. Now, as we get older, we still require at least, you know, seven to eight hours of sleep, but realistically with the constraints of a full workday, right? With the constraints of a family um, commuting, which a lot of people in the state of California deal with in uh, Southern California or the Bay Area. So there's a lot of uh, factors that try to crunch away at our sleep time. So I think a lot of us, we think, oh, I only need five hours. Oh, I only need six hours and I feel good. Mm-hmm. But really to get into that deep REM sleep. So that's that state where your brain is able to, um, in essence, turn off and recharge, right? And that's what I think of sleep. It's not just getting rest and feeling uh, wakeful, but it's a chance for your your brain and those processes that take place without you knowing it, right? Your gut, your heartbeat, your mental state to kind of all recharge and get back to a nice homeostasis. You know, it, it, it you just touched on a few things, Carter, uh, before we moved on. So many of us, you're right, we tell ourselves we don't need enough sleep. When I was younger, I used to pride myself and, and tell my tell friends of mine, I only need four to five hours. Well, I learned later I was paying for that in other ways that I didn't really realize. So it's really important. I, I appreciate you walking us through that, that we get that solid block of time, you know, plan on it. Just like we plan on other things in our lives. We really got to prioritize sleep. Right. Let's talk. Let's talk about the a couple um, the, uh, a study. Both the American Academy of Sleep Medicine and the Sleep Research Society, two different studies, are calling for the abolition of daylight saving time and a move toward permanent standard time. According to a Dr. Beth Malore, she's a professor of neurology and pediatrics and director of the Vanderbilt University Medical Sleep Medical Center Sleep Division, rather in Nashville. This is a quote from her, daylight saving time is associated with increased risks of sleep loss, circadian misalignment, and adverse health consequences. Now, I need you, Carter. I would imagine that a term like circadian misalignment is something you learn about in nursing school or medical school. Could you translate that for people like me and then walk <laughs> us through, man, I don't know. What, yeah. I was like, what? And then walk us through some of those adverse health consequences that she's talking about. Sure. So, you know, in healthcare, we like to use big words that don't mean much of uh, anything, but we just like to throw a label on them. So (laughs) circadian misalignment, what that means is that your sleep clock is off, right? And that sleep clock looks different for everybody, and it can change throughout the course of our lifetime. So think about a young baby that comes into this world. Anyone that's had uh, small children, you, you know, babysat nieces and nephews, they sleep a lot, right? A newborn can sleep up to 18 hours a day. Throughout our course of our life, as we develop as this beautiful machine that we've been gifted with in this body changes, the the needs of that sleep change. So that circadian rhythm, you'll hear that kind of talk about uh, a lot. So the circadian rhythm is the the natural uh, flow of neuroreceptors, the natural flow of body uh, reactions that take place throughout the day. So we're programmed, right? Our bodies got here by sleeping and utilizing the sun since the beginning of time, as we've evolved, as we've become these high functioning beings and animals. So the sun really was our only clock for all of eternity, right? Mm -hmm. 
And now uh, human beings have put this, uh, this arbitrary number on how many days of sun or how many hours of sun are good for us and moving those back and forth. Our bodies are not used to that, right? We are not capable of telling our, our unconscious mind what an hour looks like on one side or moving it here or there. The most largest predictor of that circadian rhythm for us is the sun, believe it or not. Mm. The minute our retinas are exposed to sunlight in the mornings, it begins this cascade of reactions through uh, neurotransmitters, through the creation of melatonin later on in the day that will eventually get us to that time where we feel tired. We feel like we need to take a nap or go to sleep per se. Um, when you start to change that rhythm, our bodies don't get used to it, right? And our bodies are, you know, it, we're creatures of habit. And that's what that circadian rhythm is, is given that habit, right, of waking up, either having that cup of coffee, having that nice uh, morning meal, having that meditation. And that habit actually creates a happy environment for our body to be in. So when you do things, whether it be working a night shift, whether it be changing the times you go to bed and wake up in the morning, that that cycle is going to be less efficient, less effective. So you're not going to be able to go to sleep. You're not going to be sleeping as as well. And I think that we don't really put a lot of emphasis on that, on what is good sleep? What is quality sleep? I'm thinking of my good friend, actually. We uh, were out at a, a retreat uh, last week and he slept on the couch all night. He said, I can do that anywhere. I sleep good there. In the back of my head, it's like, yeah, you can sleep on a couch, but is that really good quality sleep compared to, you know, resting it on in that two, three hours of wind down, getting into your comfortable bed that you know you go to every single night and laying down for eight hours? Are you truly getting as good of sleep there or are you just saying that you're closing your eyes for the same eight hour time? Mm. Wow, that's a lot of great info, Carter. You you just one of the more recent habits that I've started is if I if I can carve out some days I can't do it, but I, I'm kind of happy if I can do a 15, 20 minute cat nap in the middle of the day. And mm -hmm. what I've started doing is I don't take that nap in the bedroom. I take that little nap on the couch or in the guest room or whatever to save that bed. There's something about when I shut those lights off, shut those devices off. And I go into that bedroom and I painted it a deep blue color. So I'm in there, man, and I fall asleep so fast now. And I'm wondering if that's because based on what you said, I've, I've started that as a habit that never changes. Oh, without a doubt. Without wow. a doubt. So you touched on naps. So naps are great. Naps are a good thing to be able to rest. And, and, and I think that the naps do more so for our mentals more than anything, because if you take a nap less than 45 minutes, your body's not going to necessarily start that cascade of sleep and releasing those, uh, that melatonin, right? So anything shorter than 45 is really a, a, ch a chance to just turn off from the stressors and the, uh, the outside exposures and kind of reset from there. That nighttime rhythm that you're talking about is humongous. And actually from 10 o'clock at night to four o'clock in the morning, we should not have any exposure to bright lights, AKA your cell phone. We should not be exposed to high stressors like working at nighttime. Um, that goes against the natural circadian rhythm or the natural cadence that our body is programmed to do, right? Mm -hmm. We all, we are not nocturnal animals. We do not walk around at night with the raccoons and the other, you know, nighttime animals. We are meant to be sleeping at night. Mm -hmm. A lot of the world, my dad is a night shift worker, a lot of nurses, right? Healthcare professionals. Yeah. It's a 365 day, 24 seven job. So a lot of people do work at night. There is a significant tax on our body for doing so, for 
for nurses specifically, people get paid more to work night shift. And I always say it's not because the hospital's being nice, right? <laughs> the tax that we are all giving in our health and our well-being when we're up late at night, when we're not uh, on a nice uh, sleep pattern. Yeah, yeah. Carter, you mentioned um, earlier circadian rhythm. And and one might think, and by the way, thank you for translating that so well. I'll never have to question what that means again, the way you put it. I really appreciate that. One might say that just just a single hour, even over the course, I, my math is horrible. I've ne- that's never been a strong suit of mine, but one hour out of 24 one might say, and I'm playing devil's advocate a little bit, that that won't be that big a deal. You're only moving things ahead 60 minutes or back 60 minutes. I'm thinking based on what you just taught us, that's inaccurate. Yes? I think we devalue the amount of time, right? There's only 24 hours in a day. So what kind of value does one hour really give us. And it's really huge because that wakeful hour, that first hour in the morning, I think on the back end, it's less important with that front end, right? When people are starting the day, when people are getting ready to go to work, when kids are getting ready to go to school, that impact of that hour is felt uh, at a a heavier, heavier weight, right? So that's why we see school systems around the country. That's why we see, you know, the federal government starting to look at when are we sending kids to school? Because we move that clock on them, we move in an hour and we say, okay, you're used to getting up at 7.30, we'll make it 6.30. Your body still thinks it's 7 or 7.30, but now it's 6.30. They wake up and they are disoriented and we're expecting, you know, kids, we're expecting adults to be able to function and mentally we might be able to keep up. But our body, like we said, has been doing this for a long, long time. So to switch it up on, you know, an arbitrary number twice a year is, is very difficult to do. Yeah, I got you. I feel that. Appreciate it. Some researchers insist that springing forward in uh, springing forward rather during the late winter is much harder on us than the falling back in the fall. I'm wondering about your thoughts on that. And if it's true, why is that? So I'm going to give you an example, Michael. We work, you know, eight, nine hour days, a lot of folks. So we all know what it is, feel that feeling we get, right? When you get off or you get done with your work, you close your laptop and it's five o'clock. So a lot of people's rhythm and and, and, and and circadian rhythm or rhythm of life from that five to eight o'clock, that's the family time, the wind down time, that's our time, right? That we have to ourselves. When you lose that hour, you start during when the sun's already gone. You missed the most important part of the sleep-wake pattern is the sun. So being able to optimize our exposure to that sun on the front and the back end is, I think, the most important part. And I think we've all experienced that recently, right? They change the time on it. And boom, you get off work and you get no exposure to the sun. Yeah. You get no chance to go exercise. You get no chance to just bask in it. And I think there's the ambient uh, feeling and exposure to that sun in our skin in our eyes, there's reactions that take place that are really beneficial to that sleep-wake cycle that we're missing out on. Yeah, 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 yeah. According to Carter, the American Academy of Sleep Medicine, uh, both the transition in and out of daylight saving time can cause mood disturbances and sleep disruption, especially for those susceptible to feeling anxious and depressed. Those are two mental health conditions that you know that we've talked about a lot here at Brother Be Well. What's your take on that, Carter? So I live in a world with two small kids. So a lot of my examples stem from that. So if you don't have children, um, I think it might be a little bit harder to appreciate. But for anyone that is around small kids, 
we are all just grownups, but we still are those same beings and people. And anyone knows when you have a small kid who is not rested, right? Oh, they missed their nap today. They're difficult. Well, we are just extensions of those small people, right? So when our sleep disturbances are taking place, we can cope with them a little bit better, but being groggy, being unslept, unrested, um, waking up from a short night of sleep, we can cope with it, but we are not operating at our best. We are not optimizing our, our natural rhythm of our body, right? Our GI tract, right? So for instance, waking up and having a routine to our bowel function, having a routine to using the restroom is actually a sign of really good health. Hmm. And when you are getting in the way of that sleep cycle and you wake up late or early and that rhythm's off, it's going to really kind of detour the rest of your day, right? So a lot of small things stem from a good night's sleep, waking up at the at the best time and the kind of the same time throughout the day. It's really beneficial for people. And I would not take that grogginess lightly. Um, if you're feeling tired and you're feeling sleepy, maybe ask yourself, why? What am I doing to not feel a little bit better? Because walking through the day tired is not how we are built to be. We're built to be very aware, very awake, very, um, you know, engaged with our surroundings and to get the best out of ourselves, to be the best community member, we need to get to that spot. Carter, the, the House of Representatives here in the U.S. is sitting on a bill that's, that's if they sign it, it's going to abolish daylight saving time. And I know a lot of people, myself included, I've never really been a fan of it. Mm-hmm. Um, let's review until they do that. And, you know, we all know how government works. It may, it may be a while. Let's uh-huh. review some steps for managing daylight saving time so that we can make sure we're getting enough of that sleep that you're telling us we need to get and that our bodies and minds are as healthy as they can possibly be. Sure. So I referenced uh, Dr. Andrew Huberman. He's a neuroscientist at the University of Stanford. He actually leads their lab there. Mm-hmm. He's an amazing uh, researcher around mental health, cognition, uh, and does a lot of research on sleep specifically. And I really fall back on a lot of his teachings and what he discusses. And some high high points that he makes is, first and foremost, it's that sunlight. Viewing sunlight within 30 to 60 minutes of actually waking up, um, it starts that cascade of events like we talked about. Uh, There are days and parts of the year where we don't get the opportunity to get that exposure to sunlight, right? Overcast, cloudy. um, And that's why people, we typically feel a little bit different in these winter months than we do in the summer months, right? It's always easier to go out and travel and go on vacations and get in shape in the summertime because the sun's out and the weather's nicer. But um, it's because we're getting more exposure throughout the day to that sun. So waking up, seeing the sun would be a first one. Um, I would say avoiding caffeine, uh, eight to 10 hours before bedtime would be another one. Caffeine sneaks into our diets in a lot of different ways. I think our younger uh, audience, they don't really consume caffeine in the clip that you or I might, Michael, as we get into the real work world. I know I didn't drink coffee until I started nursing school and I haven't looked back since. Um, now I am now an addict, but, uh, caffeine later on in the day should definitely be in consideration. I think anyone who has made that mistake before you have that, you know, 5 p.m. coffee trying to get you through the end of the of a, of a long day. And then now you're up at 12 o'clock staring at the ceiling. Um, what's another one? I think the other one, the other takeaway would be a habit. So being intentional with your sleep, not just saying I'm going to fall asleep when I'm tired, but making a habit around I'm going to go to sleep when I need to. Right. So what does that look like? It looks like winding down with minimizing exposure to your phone. It looks like getting in a routine with the shower. Right. 
not just for cleanliness, but then to relax your muscles, relax your body, um, whether it be reading, meditating, listening to music, something of a, of a rhythm that you get into at a very specific time being deliberate, right? So at 8, 8.30, I'm going to be doing this. By 10 o'clock, my head is on a pillow, right? And then setting that alarm in the morning, not just laying around in bed, you know, staring at the ceiling or not optimizing. But when your body wakes up, your body's telling you, I need that sunlight. I want to go outside. I'm ready to get going. Help me get started. And the caffeine's a good way to start, but getting outside, sitting on the balcony, looking out your window, getting that exposure to sun would be a good way to start. I appreciate that, Carter. And before I let you go, the, do those tips also apply to when we're winding the clock back? I would think setting up all those habits would be helpful on both ends of daylight saving time. But are, is there anything else we can think about in the fall, maybe? When, yeah. you know, A lot of people look forward to that. They say, oh, I'm getting an extra hour of sleep. I'm wondering, should they really sleep an extra hour? Or if they're in that rhythm, that 10 to 4 block that you're talking about, that 6 to 7 hours of sleep, don't, don't deviate from that just because we're winding the clock back. What are your thoughts on that? I would recommend pacing it out, actually. I think that's what the science supports is kind of preparing and starting to mark it back gradually so it's not uh, as big of a shift, right? So starting with that intentional time, you're starting to cut back, you know, 20 minutes at a time, half hour at a time. So when the clock actually does switch, you're already there. Your body has had a chance to be there. And that arbitrary move of the hand on the clock isn't going to hit you as hard. Got you. I got you. Carter Todd, registered nurse and president of the Capital City Black Nurses Association. We don't talk enough, Carter. Thank you, sir. Yeah, thank you, Michael. It's good to see you again, my friend. Good to see you and talk to you, too. We'll talk to you pretty soon, okay? All right, now. You take it easy. And thanks to you for listening to this podcast here at Brother Be Well. The website is brotherbewell.com, and we serve boys and men of color, 13 and up, African-American, Latinx, Asian and Pacific Islander, Native and Indigenous, and the LGBTQIA plus brothers that inform those cultural communities. We take care of all of you here at Brother Be Well. We're a membership-supported service. Memberships are free. So go to brotherbewell.com and sign up right now. You'll be our next newest member. And while you're there, give us your email address. You can, you'll can you be joining our blog. And when conversations like this go live, videos um, of the same type, you'll get a notification in your email box. So check it all out at brotherbewell.com. My name is Michael P. Coleman, content director for Brother Be Well, asking you to do two quick things for me. Take great care of yourself, and we're going to help you do that as much as we can. And then you reach out, grab somebody, take care of him too, okay? You take care, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. This has been the Brother Be Well podcast. I'm Leon Gittry. Shout out to our sponsors, Sutter Health and the Sacramento County Division of Behavioral Health Services through the voter-approved Proposition 63 Mental Health Services Act. And don't forget our goals to reduce disparities, remove stigma, heal trauma, and to end prolonged suffering. If you have feedback on today's episode, tweet us at brotherbewell or email info at brotherbewell.com. Click the subscribe button right now and plan to join us next time. Until then, be well, brothers.